how do you respond to change? How do you respond to change? Maybe a, a practical way of thinking about this. Did any of you ever have to move as a child? Yeah. Um, so moving has profound effects on, on any person. Uh, because it uproots you, it sets you in a totally new place that is strange and, and different. But it has especially powerful effects on children. Because often they're, they're essentially powerless in that transition, in that move, in the process. So now I'm sure that, that many of you had your hands up, had your own experiences of what it was like to move. But I, this past week I was reading a study they considered the ways that moving can, can actually disrupt the, the social and the emotional lives of children. And it was saying that, you know, socially, when children move, their ability to form long-term trusted relationships is, is disrupted. And this can carry into an adulthood without very many friends or, or close relationships. And then on, on the other hand, it's possible that rather than isolating after a move, a kid becomes totally absorbed into their new social context. And if there are multiple moves, then it's very possible that kid becomes a totally different person in each place and essentially loses their individual identity and just become whoever it is that they are with. And then there are similar emotional consequences of this. On the one hand, moving could leave a kid feeling powerless and helpless, leading to depression and anxiety. But on the other hand, it could leave them with a great deal of resentment and anger that leads to rebellion and, and kind of a lashing out. And so the conclusion of the study was ultimately that, that moving during these formative years of life can cause a great deal of dysfunction for children into their future. Now, I'm sure there are many people who've moved and are quite functional, uh, and that's, that's fine. And there's also a sense in which there are many people who did not move who are very dysfunctional, right? Here, here, we, here we all are. But, but nonetheless, moving can have profound impact on, on someone. And we can talk about the effects that moving or transition has on children, but we never really grow out of these kinds of responses to change, right? So how do you respond to change? Is it isolation? Or maybe it's that total absorption. Do you withdraw? Or, or do you confront and lash out? Right? I think that all of this is rooted in identity and belonging, right? These reactions are responses to our identity and belonging being called into question. Who am I? Where do I belong? These are important questions to, to ask any time, but they're especially challenged during times of change and seasons of, of transition. And I think that these are crucial questions for the church to be asking today. Who are we? Where do we belong? 
Now, over time, the church has often responded to these questions just like children coping with a move, right? Some churches have isolated themselves from culture, put up walls, creating a very distinct us and them, and staying very far. Some might become totally absorbed into the culture, following whatever cultural fad happens to be the craze and losing any real distinct Christian identity. And still others have have sought to lash out against culture and take up arms against the rest of the world, which we've seen play out politically for decades in the so-called culture wars, right? And that's really just another way of doing us and them. It's just instead of withdrawing, it's rebelling. And so it turns out the church can also be quite dysfunctional in times of change, in times of transition. But we are not on our own to figure this out. Because it turns out that Scripture has quite a lot to say about identity and belonging. And it has quite a lot to say to us when those things are being thrown into question. Because there's actually a biblical category for these questions. When identity and belonging are thrown into question, Scripture calls it exile. This is exile. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. All right, Jeremiah lived in a time of radical change and transition. He witnessed his people respond in every single way that we've talked about. Some of them, you know, isolation, there was absorption, there were rebellions that would come up. And through it all, he remained a prophet of God, speaking to them, confronting them, and also guiding them all along the way. And so this morning, we have already read a portion of Jeremiah with our new dwelling passage, chapter 29. And in this passage, Jeremiah sends a letter to those who are in exile, those who are questioning their identity and their belonging. And we're going to spend much of this next year dwelling in this passage listening to Jeremiah's words to people living in exile. But for this next month or so, I want to spend some some more time looking at the book of Jeremiah, kind of getting some context for where this dwelling passage is, and all the while holding out this question, how are we to live as people in exile. And so with that, let's read Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of King Josiah, son of Ammon of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, It came also in the days of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, 
and until the end of the 11th year of King Zedekiah, son of Josiah of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for being with us in the midst of exile. I pray that as we consider these words, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this morning, as we consider these opening words of the book of Jeremiah, I want to focus on the person of Jeremiah. And I've got some some preacher bullet points for you. I I managed to to really, I think, hit it out of the park this week. We're going to look at Jeremiah's context, his call, his character, and his commission. Right? I don't usually do the, the same letter thing, but there we go. Right? Um, so if you're a note taker, there you go. We're going to look at his context, his call, his character, and his commission. All right? So starting with Jeremiah's context, the first three verses give us the context of Jeremiah's life and ministry. In verse 1, we see that his dad was a priest, and he lived in Anathoth, which is a town a few miles north of Jerusalem, where the temple is. So Jeremiah was a preacher's kid who lived and grew up near the church. Right? He would have been very familiar with the traditions and the customs of the temple, And as he grew older, he probably would have understood all those religious leadership structures that were there. This was the world that he lived in. This was his home. He was completely immersed in that. And then in verse 2, it says that the word of the Lord came to him in the days of King Josiah. Now, do any of you know King Josiah's story? You guys remember that at all? You, you find his story in 2 Kings 22 through 23 or 2 Chronicles 34 through 35, a couple different versions of, of that same story. And during his reign, the book of the law that had been lost was rediscovered. 
And so Josiah had one of his attendants read this, this lost and now found book of the law to him. And upon hearing the words of God, he tore his clothes in grief. And he realized that the ways that he and, and the priests and the people had been living were contrary to God. They had been living in sin. And so what results from this is this massive reformation. Josiah removes idols, he cleanses the temple, and he reinstitutes the practice and celebration of Passover, which hadn't been celebrated for possibly centuries. And this becomes a season of spiritual renewal for God's people. It's a time when, this is the time, this is the season when Jeremiah came of age. So Jeremiah grew up in a religious family near the religious capital during a season of religious renewal. Now this sounds like a recipe for spiritual flourishing, right? It sounds like a time of of peace and, and prosperity. So why all of this talk of exile? Where does this come from? Well, then comes verse 3. King Jehoiakim and King Zedekiah. All right, their stories again are found at the end of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, if you want to go read about them. Their reigns were marked by turmoil and devastation in the nation. Both of them get that, that byline They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, right? That is what sums up each of their reigns. And both of them led unsuccessful rebellions against the great empire of Babylon in the north. And Babylon answered King Jehoiakim swiftly. They invaded the land, captured him, his family, his officials, and they carted them all off to Babylon, brought them into exile. And then King Zedekiah comes up, and he's kind of a pushover. As you read the story, you know, he's loyal to Babylon for a little while, but then he kind of vacillates between them back and forth, and eventually he turns against Babylon. But again, Babylon comes swiftly. And this time they take the whole capital city of Jerusalem, they destroy the temple, And they do far worse to Zedekiah than they did to Jehoiakim before him. And so the temple was destroyed. The nation has been overthrown. And the land is now invaded and occupied. This is the life that Jeremiah lived. That's quite a turn of events. From thriving spiritual renewal to living in a land of desolation. Sort of, you know, maybe in our own history, we could say it's like growing up in the Roaring Twenties only to meet the Great Depression, right? Except far worse, because this is not just an economic downturn. This is exile. Now, to a much lesser extent, many of us, many of you, have lived through some some pretty radical, challenging transitions. 
both in this particular church over the last decade or more, and the church at large and our whole culture. I've heard some of you talk about how there was a time when everyone was a Christian. Everyone went to church, right? But now the culture has taken such a sharp turn, and it seems like everywhere from media to morals, professional life to political life, that the Christians aren't welcome anymore. And to some extent, I kind of want to push back on that. Because we have a tendency to overstate things. We have a tendency to kind of victimize ourselves defensively. I mean, after all, we are gathered here right now to worship freely, to confess God who we love. We are not being carted off to captivity somewhere, right? But I'll admit there is a sense in which times have changed. Because following Jesus in our culture carries a very different connotation than it once did. We are, in some sense, living in a kind of exile. And so I want to bring us back to that question. How are we to live as people in exile? Well, Jeremiah gives us some really great guidance because he doesn't give in to isolation, absorption, or rebellion. He doesn't constantly point back to the glory days, right, and either get stuck there in isolation or try to fight to win them back through rebellion. He doesn't lose his identity and get sucked into Babylonian culture either. Instead, he remains rooted in God and keeps pointing the way forward through exile, into exile. And so this is Jeremiah's context. This is the world that he grew up in from the glory days to quite different days. And, and the question emerges, well, how did he remain rooted through such a volatile transition? Well, look at his call, from his context to his call in verse 4. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then skip down to verse 8. God says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. To deliver you. I love that this is where Jeremiah's call starts. You see, God does have work for Jeremiah to do, but before he sends him out with a commission, he calls him close with this call. Before God tells Jeremiah what to do, he tells him who he is, and more importantly, whose he is. Before Jeremiah lives through the desolate wilderness of exile, his identity and his belonging 
are rooted firmly in God. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Don't be afraid. I am with you. You see, if his identity and belonging were in his dad, the priest, his town near the temple, or his king, the reformer, then the moments those things crumbled away, so would his faith. But God's call to him is this, before I formed you, I knew you. Before he was born into a religious family, he belonged to God. Before he grew up in a religious town, he belonged to God. Before Josiah led an age of spiritual renewal, Jeremiah belonged to God. Jeremiah's identity was not in his family, not in religious institutions, or in spiritual movements. His identity and his belonging were in God, who was before any of these things. So, you know, in, in Bible class, the, the last few weeks, we've started reading the letter of First Peter. And I love how Peter opens that letter. He writes to the exiles, addressing the churches, and he says, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Right, so he addresses the church as exiles. And then the first thing he says about them is that they are chosen and they are destined by God, Father, Son, and Spirit. As exiles, we need to be reminded that our identity is first and foremost found in God. We are those who have been chosen and destined by God the Father, who have been sanctified by the Spirit, who have been covered in Jesus' blood and follow him wherever he leads. And this kind of identity has to run deep. But we have a tendency to root our identity in all kinds of shallow things, like friends and family, like our job, like our church, or whatever it may be. And then trial and transition comes, and we find ourselves in exile. And we have an identity crisis. Who are we? Where do we belong? Well, the answer to those questions hasn't actually changed. Your context has changed, but still, who are you? You are God's chosen people. Where do you belong? You belong to him. No matter where you are, do not be afraid, for I am with you. 
This is what the Lord says. The church desperately needs to remember this. Because I think sometimes we focused so much on our commission, the work that God gave us to do. We've forgotten the call, who God calls us to be. We must remain rooted in this identity as the people of God. So if we hear the call of God, and we find our identity in him, does that mean that we'll never struggle? That we'll never doubt? We'll never have questions? We'll never suffer? Absolutely not. And we see this with Jeremiah. Right in the midst of his call, Jeremiah's character comes out. Right In verse 6, he responds to God, Ah, Lord God. And and he, he objects to God that, you know, truly, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a boy. Ah, Lord God. He, he kind of pushes back against God. This phrase, ah, Lord God, appears throughout Scripture a number of times. It is this proclamation of lament. And this phrase becomes kind of a refrain throughout much of Jeremiah's ministry. Right, so if you've ever read very much of Jeremiah, then you've probably had a hard time getting through it and many of the prophetic books, right? But Jeremiah in particular speaks some harsh words. He pronounces quite a lot of fire and judgment on the people, and that could lead us to think that Jeremiah is really just kind of some old, grumpy, angry preacher. But The book of Jeremiah is so much more than this. Beyond his words, we see his character come forth throughout the book. In fact, more than any other prophet in Scripture, we get a number of insights into Jeremiah's own process through his ministry and throughout his own exile. Most of the prophetic books are made up primarily, mostly, of the prophet's sermons, the the things that the prophet speaks forth. But about half of Jeremiah is actually narrative, stories about Jeremiah's life and Jeremiah living in, in the midst of this wild turn of events. He's rejected by his own people along the way, He's arrested and imprisoned. He spends some number of days or months in a muddy cistern, barely eating anything at all. And in addition to his narrative throughout the book, we often get glimpses into some of Jeremiah's own personal thoughts. In chapter 4 and 8, Jeremiah grieves and, and mourns his people. I love in chapter 12, he actually stands up to and and challenges God. He says, you'll be right, O Lord, when I lay charges against you, but let me put my case to you. That's bold. This is Jeremiah, right? He grieves, he mourns, he pushes back against God. He is called the weeping prophet. 
and ah, Lord God, becomes this refrain. But it is not a refrain of doubt. It is a refrain of faith that is so rooted in his identity and his belonging to God that he is honest with God and he is not shaken. He brings forth his complaints, his laments, and he's honest. Ah, Lord God. And so Jeremiah is called, and his character is one of authenticity and, and willingness to push back. And finally, we, we have Jeremiah's commission. What is God actually sending Jeremiah to do? And we see this, he says, the, the Lord put out his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. Verse 10, see today I appoint you over nations, over kingdoms, to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and overflow, overthrow, to build and to plant. And so right there we see Jeremiah's commission is going to be hard because he's actually being sent against quite a lot. His job is to speak the words of the Lord, and those words at times are going to pluck up and pull down. They're going to destroy and overthrow. Jeremiah is on the offense at this point, and that's a challenge. But his commission also holds some measure of promise because it is to build and to plant. This is the very same thing we saw in our dwelling passage. Build houses, plant gardens, right? And so Jeremiah's commission is a little bit subversive. One of the things that we see throughout this whole story of Jeremiah's calling and commissioning is a lot of similarities to another prophetic calling and commissioning. Can any of you think of another prophet who God called to and he responded by saying, oh Lord, I can't speak? Moses. Moses is this prophet who rejected this call at first. I can't speak. I don't have the words. But God nonetheless says, no, you are my prophet for this moment. I will put my words in your mouth. The very same thing he says to Jeremiah. And there's this real sense that Jeremiah is this mosaic prophet figure. But that's a little confusing. Because Moses is the one who leads God's people out of slavery into the promised land. Jeremiah leads God's people out of the promised land into exile. How in the world are these the same calling? How in the world are these comparable at all? And yet, what Jeremiah will say again and again is, yes, I may be leading you into exile, but it is truly to freedom that we're going. This is where we're headed. 
And this pattern really shouldn't be strange to us. Because the commissioning of Jeremiah follows the very same pattern that we know as we come to the table every week. It is the pattern of death and resurrection. Jesus does the very same thing. He plucks up and pulls down. He overthrows and destroys. He leads us into death. But it is for the sake of life. And so through death, through exile, there is building and there is planting. This is the way of the cross. This is the way of the gospel. And so exile turns out to not be total destruction, but it is actually a place where life might be found, where God's people might be renewed. This is where we are led through the words of Jeremiah and through the way of Jesus. And so my prayer is that over these next few weeks, as we discover this sense and ask this question, how are we to live as people in exile? That we might face those challenges, but all the more find our identity deeper and deeper rooted in God. And we might discover the one who leads us in death and resurrection, Jesus Christ. May we be found in him. Amen.